We thank you, Father God, for, um, for the life of Nick Hawkes. He's uh, <coughs> actually still alive. Um, and we're just very grateful for that. We're grateful that he's chosen to give his life in service for you. I pray, Lord God, that we, this morning, that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open, open to hearing your word for us through Nick. I pray a special blessing on Nick this morning. Amen. Wow. How, how do you follow that, really? My dear friends, thank you for being with Mary and, and me on this extraordinary occasion. Uh, we want to emphasize that we're retired from paid ministry, not from ministry, and that, uh, that we're really excited about the future that God has called you into as a team. And whilst we don't know exactly what it is that God's calling us into, we just, we've we already are rejoicing because we have his promises and that it's going to be significant. And we have no idea what that, that's going to look like, whether it's going to be books, radio, or, or overseas mission, or, or whatever. doesn't matter. Whatever faithfulness looks like, that's what we want to be part of. And so what we're both sharing, I guess, is this, this whole business of change. And it's not altogether comfortable, is it, really? It can be a bit scary. Um, you desperately want to be part of the, of the future and the action, but you're also a little apprehensive. And many of us, to be honest, quite like this with God, aren't we? We, we want God to take us to places we've never been before, uh, to move us on from the mediocrity and the, and the rut which we've sort of fallen into, um, and to do something that's you know, truly significant and worthwhile. Um, and yet the other side of us fears, doesn't it? Uh, because, you know, change... And, and challenge are, disrupt, uh, are destructive of the status quo, uh, at least the status quo that we understand. And do we really want to journey with God? I mean, take the risk because you know, God might take us to places which are really uncomfortable. He might take us to Kangaroo Island <laughs> or to a rugby league game. God might take us, and we're not really sure, Lord, and so we sort of cool off a bit from God and, and then, then we can claim ignorance. And I'm sorry, Lord, I, I didn't really know what you wanted me to do. But I have one burning passion and that is to make God's glory known in my time. And that's the reason God has, has dreamed you and me into being, that we might love him, enjoy him, make his glory known in our time and to be part of this extraordinary community, his kingdom, which he's working towards. And that's his end game, and he wants you there. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that God doesn't like us too much and therefore hasn't got anything particularly special for us. And we're pretty ordinary anyway, and we can't do very much that's special. And God is way too holy to have anything to do with you. Anything to do with me. And this was a heresy that first afflicted or challenged the church in the fourth century. So it's been around for a while, <laughs> so you're in good company. 
It centers on who, who Jesus really is. Was, was Jesus someone so holy that he, he could never ever step out from a stained glass window? Is, is he someone who could, who could never actually hang out with you? Or is he someone who comes alongside you? And he says, look, I, I see your sin. That's forgiven. Just don't do it anymore. Let's, now let's do life together. Let's go fishing. Let's climb a mountain. I have had a quite a bit of history in, in, in the whole area of science and research. And, and as I contemplate the, the extraordinary nature of the cosmos and am bewildered by people's indifference to it, I, I ask myself, why, why aren't people asking the question, why does it bother to exist? Why aren't people asking the question, who am I? If a universe with this extraordinary amount of fine-tuned order exists, that bespeaks a mind behind it. And so science pointed to the possibility of a mind, but left us in darkness. And then God starts to reveal himself to us through the prophets of the Old Testament and says, I am here. I am the mind, and this is what I'm like. I'm a God of holiness and love, and I have got a plan, and you're part of it. Will you join me in it? And then peerlessly, when we said, we've disqualified ourselves from the presence of any holy God because we are imperfect people. Anyone perfect enough? Put the hand up. <laughs> We're all imperfect people. Welcome to the team. That's why you fit so well into Rivergate. And so God comes to town and says, let me deal with that problem which would separate you from me. I will die on a cross and take the blame for your sin so that the way to me is open. Oh, he says, and, and then I will place my spirit within you so that my wisdom, my empowerment will be within you to enable you to fulfill the purposes to which I'm calling you in this life. So you are intended, you are loved, you are rescued, you are commissioned. That's pretty good, isn't it? In a world that, that is lost, that doesn't know who it is, as I've said before, the Australian Aborigine has a saying, a man is still a child until he knows his story. And an awful lot of people in Australia are very old children. <laughs> they don't know their story. They don't know who they are. They don't know they're, they're sacred. They don't know why they are. They're just collecting T-shirts from Bali and think that that's the sum total of life in all its fullness. And none of that is written down for me to say in my sermon notes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
And that's the commission that I want you to fulfill and finish. Whatever it is, whatever ministry that is uniquely yours, I want you to finish it. I, I urge you to finish it. I want you to keep me honest to make sure that I finish it. Because points of change are always dangerous. The Exodus story tells of a time when after 14 months in the desert, 14 months in the desert, Moses leads the, the freed slaves from, the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, and they come to the land, the promised land. But they are too fearful to possess it. And they have all these reasons to say, it's too hard, it's too big, there are giants in the land, and we're not going over. And they sent a bunch of spies out there, and only two came back and said, look, we can do this because God is with us. And the rest of them said, no, we can't. And so God led them back into the desert for 40 years so that they could learn more about trusting God and what it means to be a people of God. And you may remember the story. <laughs> you know, may, I mean... It's not as if the guys had much of an excuse, let's be honest, because he'd, he'd, he'd just taken them, Moses had just led them um, out of Egypt after 10 extraordinary plagues to persuade a hard-hearted Pharaoh to release, to release God's people. And then they had <laughs> miraculously gone through the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, uh, and had a, a remarkable deliverance as, this, as the water, which was the barrier in front of them, which stopped them from entering into their future, was just parted by God by a strong east wind. Uh, the Hebrew people walked through there, and then, the, and then the, the waters came rushing back and drowned the army of, of Pharaoh that was uh, bent on killing and recapturing the Hebrew people. Now, if I'd seen that, I would have thought, yeah, God's with me. That's pretty cool. That's pretty, pretty convincing. And if that wasn't enough, you run out of water and you've got no water. And so <laughs> God says to Moses, Moses, did you see that rock there? Whack it. With a stick. And, and so water was miraculously provided for the people. Now, I, that would have persuaded me. But no, 14 months later, they are whinging. And, and, and they've got some really good whinges. They say, surely God hates us and has taken us here in order to kill us. After doing all that, you've got to be joking. So they're in the desert where God imprints his purposes on him and his character, teaches them what it means to be a, a child of God. And I reckon we've been in the desert for a good long time at Rivergate where God has been teaching us to trust him. All sorts of things thrown against us. And yet you guys have hung in there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have not wavered. And so 40 years later, they're on the banks of a river, which separating them from the promised land, the Jordan River. And the people are frightened because they're entering this land 
I haven't been there before. I've just heard whispers of it in terms of promises. Maybe even heard whispers of it through the generations. Decades, decades ago, hundreds of years earlier, their ancestors used to live there. But now it's occupied by the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Vegemites and the Metibites. And they frightened off the Hebrew people 40 years previously. So what does God do? He, he says, right, grab the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the very presence of God. And it was a sort of memory box that, inside of which was memorabilia of God's faithfulness and God's provision for his people. There was the the, the two stone tablets that Moses had, which had the Ten Commandments on. There was a jar of manna, uh, which uh, manna that God used to feed his people in the desert. And things like that, there was Aaron's rod, which had miraculously budded there. So whenever anyone doubted, all they had to do was look towards the tent temple, the tabernacle, in which the ark sat and was reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. And so they said... Joshua had just taken over the leadership. But Joshua wasn't trusted yet by the people. And Joshua wasn't sure he had it within him to actually lead the people. So he listens to God and God says, don't be afraid. Take the ark and go into the river. And so they go into the river. And many miles upstream there's a landslip which blocks the flowing of the river and allows them to supernaturally cross this river, which was in spring, which was in spate, and was separating them, uh, preventing them from entering into their promised land. So what is it that's stopping you entering into the place where God wants you to be? Just ask that, answer that question. What is stopping you from inheriting the place and the promise that God wants you to be? What's the raging river in spate that would prevent you from doing that? Well, let me just tell you right now, God's got his eye on it, and he wants to stop it. It's quite interesting. Geologists have actually worked on that river, and they have discovered the place where the landslips happen. Really quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, about 20 miles upstream. And they still happen from time to time, by the way. So there you are. And so the Ark of the Covenant is now in the middle of this dry riverbed, which just a moment ago was a raging torrent, and a very wide one, by the way. And, um, and, and the Ark of the Covenant stays there until the entire people have crossed into the Promised Land. And so God pulls off the most extraordinary show and tell because he says, you know how the waters of the Red Sea were held back to allow you to escape under the leadership of Moses? And now you're seeing under the leadership of Joshua, 
God doing exactly the same thing. God has never left you, never failed you, never forsaken you. You are, God is with you as you enter into your promise. And I, dear friends, I want to say the same to you. I'm so excited about the future Rivergate. It hasn't got the future that I'd be excited about under my leadership as of this day. It hasn't got it. But under the future leadership of Joshua or Montez, you've got it. And I am excited for you. I am really excited for you. I simply want to end by saying thank you for your love and your support. Thank you for releasing me and Mary to do the ministry which we've done and that we've done together. It's always been a team thing. The ministry you've allowed through radio has been something you've released me to do. The ministry we've done through, through books is something that you've released me to do. And, and, and I love Jossie Charco talking to us there from the video there. Um, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary the impact this, this tiny little church has had across North of India. Absolutely extraordinary. I didn't know until uh, uh, a year ago that they were actually using the English notes of my Bible studies uh, to train their English-speaking church planters. Didn't know that. And, and, and of course, since then, two million copies of the Bible summary uh, are, are being distributed there. Um, and this is, this, is, this is something which we've done together. And quite apart from loving people who come into this church because it's the last, the last church that they will try before they give up on the idea of church and they find a place where they're loved and they find a place where they hear the Christian gospel. They find a place where it's safe to cry and to be real and there's no pretense, airs or graces. So I just find the privilege of having done that with you extraordinary and I want to honour you so much for your love, your faithfulness. And I want to look forward to the adventures that God does <laughs> through you and your ministry. And as I said earlier, you need to be slightly scared because I have spies everywhere. Robespierre has nothing on me. I will find out. I will be cheering you on. I will be praying that you fulfill God's purposes for your life and be living life in all its fullness, which has got nothing to do with comfort. It's got nothing to do with riches. It's got everything to do with fulfilling your God-intended destiny and doing so in community that reflects the love of God. So as Mary and I move on into our next stage of ministry, as you move on to the next stage of ministry, we share the love of God, we share the passion of God, we share the heart of God, and we also continue to share friendship with each other. So I pray God's rich, richest blessing on you as you seize the future. Let me pray for you. Loving Father, thank you for calling us 
into your community as family. With you, Lord, the small things become the big things. And the big things become the small things. With you, Lord, there is, there, there is life that is worth living, that has to do with meaning, identity, a purpose, and complete fulfillment. And this extraordinary delight that there is in your love. And some of this love we experience together, Lord. And I pray that you would bless the team here with a profound understanding of your love, with a burning excitement about the future that you're leading them into, that you would rescue them from ordinariness and mediocrity, and that they would possess the land and would allow no river to stand in between them and your purposes for their lives. I pray, Lord, that you bless them with your peace, your joy, and your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. And Nick, 